Hello and welcome to the 94 NBA podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. We are back after a couple of weeks off, you know, the holidays going around. Got, gave us a lot of time to catch up on some basketball. We've got a trade to analyze. We've got a really, really full mailbag segment to go through with a bunch of great questions. Um, Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing good, Eric. Happy to be back on. Get this started. Like you said, a full slate of NBA content to get around to. So I'm, I'm hyped. Yeah. Let, let's start off with um, it was some kind of it's some kind of significance here with this <laughs> trade. I mean, that that was my reaction, basically. So for any of you who haven't heard, uh, the Grizzlies have made um, definitely a win now move. Um, you know, they've fallen off in recent weeks. I mean, they're really, really struggling now. But they traded um, for Justin Holiday from the Bulls and they gave up Marshawn Brooks. Wayne Selden and two second round picks, their 2019 and 2020 second round picks. Um, I think there was a report that the Bulls are not planning to even like keep Marshawn Brooks, so it's basically just Selden and two second round picks. Um, this, when I got this reaction, I really was just like, eh, like, eh, okay. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say this is like a really, really desperate move, but it definitely seems like they are getting desperate. Um, which kind of makes sense for them, considering that they've fallen out of the playoff picture, you know, despite that they've actually stayed healthy, unlike last season. You know, Gasol and Conley are playing. Pretty much everyone important is playing. Jermichael Green is back. Parsons apparently is healthy but won't be playing, and he's having frictions with the, with the front office there. I just don't think Holiday does enough or does really anything to push them back into that playoff picture. Um, and given that, I'm not sure I love the idea of giving up two unprotected... I mean, second-round picks. I know second-round picks are really, like... You're, you're, I mean, excuse my language. You're, you're throwing shit on the wall with second round picks a lot of the time. But <laughs> yep. for the Grizzlies, if they're gonna, if they, you know, get another injury and really fall down, their second round picks are gonna be in that maybe like thirty to forty range. And in those picks, if you draft well, you can get players. Now, of course, the Bulls are probably the last team in the NBA you want to have second round picks, considering they're either gonna trade them away or sell them off for pure money. <laughs> um, but I think that for the Bulls' perspective, this is a nice haul for Justin Holiday, who's expiring contract and definitely not a part of their future. Um, I don't think they're going to use anything. I, I really think another team would actually be benefit more from getting these second-round picks, except the Bulls. Um, but for the Grizzlies, I think they gave up too much for a guy who helps them. He's better defensively than Brooks or Selden, so he's going to replace their minutes and play a little bit more maybe in the rotation. He can hit threes. He gets steals. Um, you know, he's good on the, both ends of the floor. You know, he's not a great defender, but he's got size at least, and he can hit threes. Um, I, I just don't think this does enough for, for what they gave up and, you know, how desperate they appear to be getting at the moment. I agree. Uh, and uh, first I have to uh, just back up. I mean, back up what you said on the Bulls end because taking a chance second round picks, they're not a team that's optimized to do that, in my opinion, the best. And you've already said that, but you're just throwing on the wall. And the Bulls already have a number of players on the roster who – have been thrown against the wall and have been slowly sliding off, in my, you know, modest opinion. So, that is true. At the same time, it is quite a haul for Holiday, who, 29, is not like the Kelly Oubre trade for the Suns, where you get a 23-year-old entering restricted free agency. Um, to the best of my knowledge, the Bulls do have his, um, not the Bulls, the Grizzlies have his bird rights. So, that's good, but it really just seems that the Grizzlies are just trying to win now. And, I, I say that, it's almost damning with faint praise, because... He's not really a big mover. You said it. He's shooting 36% for three for the season, so he's okay shooting. Um, that's still an upgrade. I mean, the Grizzlies, the, the Grizzlies are in the bottom five on three-pointers even attempted. So it's like they're half in that grit and grind model of like 2012, 2013 in that respect. And you bring in a guy who is a decent defender, a decent shooter, uh, a decent passer. He's just a decent player. Um, <laughs> and 
I guess that's working for a decent team, if I'm going to extend that. I just, it's weird. It's, it's not even on the fringe of a win-now move for me. It's just another serviceable player on a serviceable team that I think already hit a ceiling. I don't think having Holiday there moves them up any, and I do think that if his he was traded to, like, let's say the Pelicans or, um, I don't know, Boston, you know, outlandish team, but, like, let's say a, a contender or a more significant quasi-contender, that'll be more of an impactful move, move as far as um, Holiday the player. I don't know if his skills are best optimized in Memphis, and that's why it looks like a mad trade all around. Like, he's not a, a, a pusher by any stretch of the imagination, but there's certain teams that I think this trade would look a lot better on than if it was in Memphis. Well, that was, one of my, that was like one of my second early thoughts. After thinking about it from how he's going to fit and what he can provide and what mm-hmm. they gave up, my, my next thought was, if this is the price for him, which basically is two second-round picks and fringe role players, um, couldn't other teams have gotten involved? I mean, the Pelicans, like you mentioned. What about the Rockets? For this price, the Rockets would be you – know, the Rockets are you know, obviously shopping their first-round pick like it's you know, free candy for other teams. Um, uh-huh. They would certainly you know, be looking to move second-round picks and whatever fringe role players, you know, Marquise Chris or something like that. Um, the Pistons – they could use somebody who can hit, hit some threes on the wing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll get to that later. They are really they cannot hit a shot to save their lives. Even the Blazers. I mean, the Blazers. Mo Harkless. You know, he's he's coming back, but he's he still can't play back to back. He's still rusty. Um, Evan Turner can't shoot threes. They could use a nice guy like Holiday who could fit in at the three um, and hit some threes and play solid defense for them. But those are four teams right off the bat that I think you know, should have gotten into these discussions. And, of course, they probably were look asking about Holiday. But I think that there were teams that would need Holiday more that could have also beaten or, you know, matched this package that the Grizzlies gave up. I have a theory on that. I, I You remember how that Grizzly-Phoenix-Washington um, fiasco regarding the wrong Brooks and everything? <laughs> yeah. I think I think Memphis said, okay, we need to make a trade. We need to make it now. Let's do one team, whatever it costs. We'll get Justin Holiday. You take the only Brooks that we want to move, and we move on. Like, this... <laughs> this clearly seems to me to be a trade that Memphis did in haste, and I'm not sure if it was thought even as well as we're overlooking it now. Because you're right, they gave a massive haul on a player who at best is a fringe um, pusher. Like he's not pushing their ceiling. He's like a fringe asset on that. And he's a, uh, Justin Holiday is a fine player. I'm just saying for where he fits in Memphis and the player that he is and the attributes he brings on a team that is, is not pushing them to another echelon. They're kind of just slightly better than what they were. You're just getting rid of, like you said, two French players and draft picks that may or may not have been key, you know, a couple of years down the road. That's fine, but it, it's still quite the haul. I mean, like you said, I, I, I'm glad it's not like a first-round pick or a future first-rounder for Holiday because I do think that would have been definitely too much. This I can at least, you know, look at it in my head and go, okay, that's fine. But in the same vein, it does seem almost like a panic trade, like you said, but for a team that and I said this from the jump, don't really have that much to panic because where do they expect to be? I was, and and I I had to kind of eat some crow a couple of weeks ago, but I was never too high on the Grizzlies as far as making the playoffs this year. I kind of thought, you know, Gasol's 33. If we're looking at the future um, outlook on him, he can opt out of his contract after this year. Mike Conley's 31. um, He has max money for this year. And then one more year after this, potentially. And then you have um, Kyle Anderson, who you signed, and you still have Chandler Parsons and that horrible contract on the books for another year. So you have players who are locked in that are not getting better, that are depreciating. And so to bring in someone else to kind of try to keep this sinking ship afloat, in my opinion, in a tough Western Conference, I always saw the Grizzlies on the outside looking in. So why give up future assets? And yes, Wayne Seldon and Marshawn Brooks aren't really, you know, burning down the walls or anything. But to even make a trade for a player who, I mean, looking on it now, I, I, do you feel any differently about the Grizzlies as far as their potential chances, or 
do you look at them the exact same way that you looked at them beforehand? Oh, the exact same way. And, exactly. And the Grizzlies, are they should already know about trading away future picks for <laughs> players that do not push them over the edge. Cough, cough, Jeff Green. Cough, Woo-hoo. cough, 2019 first-round pick, which I will yes, get to sir. later. Um, because <laughs> they, they are one of the teams, and the Clippers are another one. We've seen teams do this before where they, tr- they, over, they overcompensate in trade packages for players that do not push them over the edge. And then they come back it come back to bite them in the ass when their picks actually are valuable and they don't have possession of them. Um, exactly. So this move for me, it was just so it, it, holiday is an upgrade over Brooks and Selden, even, but even both those players put together, but mm-hmm. is he enough of an, up, <laughs> is, he, is he enough of an upgrade to warrant two second round picks in the next two years when you're, you know, he just doesn't push, push him over the edge enough to warrant that kind of trade package. So I, it seems like a desperate move for a team that's getting increasingly more desperate as the games go on. Yep, for no reason. All right, <sighs> let's move on to our full court press mailbag. Um, again, as I said before, a bunch of awesome questions this week. So Thank shout out guys. to everybody who sent in Thank questions you. on Twitter. Um, stay tuned for next week. We ask we ask for them. You know, usually around Wednesday. So you know, make sure to send in your questions. So we got our first one um, from at Jordan Dan fifty three on Twitter. Um, he asks, "Can Harden keep up this pace, and does he have to?" Um, he can't. Like, <laughs> there you go. Easy. Uh, he can't. Uh, they are currently playing as we speak, and they are down um, double digits to the Blazers in the second half. They're down by eleven. Um, they're down by twelve with halfway to po- halfway gone in the in the third quarter. Harden is six of twenty um, with seventeen points and six turnovers, no rebounds and two assists. He's two of eleven on three. So it looks like the play has already stopped, which makes sense because he was. I mean, he was. This was one of the best stretches of basketball I've ever seen since I started watching the sport. Um, over the last twelve games coming into tonight, forty point one points per game, nine assists, six point six rebounds on sixty four percent true shooting, which is above his season average of true shooting. <laughs> and the Rockets went eleven and one, uh, and they went from the fourteenth seed all the way to the fourth seed in in that stretch. He's wow. doing it against playoff teams like the Thunder and the Celtics and the Warriors, which that Warriors game was you know incredible game of the year candidate. Um, yep. But it's gonna it's gonna stop. I mean, you know, I, I jotted down some notes that it will stop soon. Well, it's stopping tonight. I mean, unless he goes berserk in the final twelve minutes of the game. But um, the minutes load and the usage is just too much for him for one guy I mean for any player uh, for do, to do that for 12 games like sure you can have a 5 game stretch you can have a 10 game stretch 12 game stretch I mean you, you're just going to extending it for an entire month um, I mean you look at the rotation that they had to play against the Warriors uh, with Daniel House Jr. Is playing 35 minutes and Brandon Knight's playing minutes and Jail Green and some of these guys Austin Rivers playing 40 minutes like the guys they have around him is, is, is arguably the worst supporting cast he has had Maybe since the 2014-15 season when Dwight missed half the year and, you know, Demonis Montiunis was his second best player. Um, you know, because, of course, CP3's out, Gordon is out. Um, but unfortunately for the Rockets, uh, until they get those guys back and or make a trade, they just need him to be lights out. Uh, awesome every game to have a chance, which obviously does not bode well for them in March and April. So my answer is, well, this question was asked to us a couple of days ago, so... The pace is slowing down, obviously, tonight. So, And it's going to be slowing down. He's going to get back. He's going to fall down the earth. They'll get Gordon back eventually. They'll get CP3 back eventually. And then they'll be operating at a more normal routine level, I guess. Yeah, I mean, short answer, no and yes. You know what I mean? Like, there you go. Can't keep it up. And they and, and they need that production from him or, 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 like you said, someone else to augment that. Austin Rivers having a good game tonight. I mean, Rockets are still down. But having other players kind of pick it up, and I think – 
Rivers, in my opinion, oddly enough, is the most qualified to do that in the absence of Chris Paul. Um, when James Harden does recede to the mean, which is still just exceptionally high for him. But you already mentioned these numbers. It's 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 striking. It's you already said in the eleven one run that brought Houston from fourteenth place to fourth place, Harden's averaged forty points, six rebounds, and nine assists. Um, scored at least forty points in five consecutive games, which joins Kobe, Michael Jordan, um, Allen Iverson as the only players to have such streaks in the last fifty years. And this is a career high, thirty three point six points per game that he's averaging. Um, his last nine games had at least 35 points and five assists. And, I mean, I hate these, like, arbitrary stats, but Oscar Robertson previously held that record for most consecutive 35.5 assist outings. <laughs> oh, my God. I love ESPN. But, um, yeah, so all that to say, it's been through the roof. And I actually have to make a confession. I went to bed early when I was watching that Rockets-Warriors uh, game. They rock At the time, the Warriors were up 17. I'd already seen another blowout with uh, the Spurs and Raptors, which just – Side note, I totally love the DeMar DeRozan revenge game. But anyway, I'd already seen a blowout early. I'm like, you know what? I got work in the morning. I'm going to go to bed. And so I kind of went to bed. And then like half an hour later, I get a text from my buddy. He's like, dude, are you watching into this game? I'm like, nah, what happened? He's like, just turn the TV on. I turn it on. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it, it, it was so bad that I watched the last three minutes, like um, fourth quarter overtime. So the last five minutes, really. Then I went back and I had a DVR because, you know, I have to watch the games anyway. I went back and watched from where I left to the end to just see how it happened. And it's just... It's incredible the way he was making shots, like the offensive pace that he's at, and it had to burn out. And obviously tonight when we're recording this is apparently the time is going to burn out at least for one night. But the degree of difficulty, defenders draped all over him, the separation he's creating, the uh, just incessant um, creation on the offensive end for this Rockets team in all facets. You're talking about rebounding, you're talking about points, and it's raising the level, talking about assists, and it's raising the level of the players' game. Because remember – with um, Harden having that monster game, people forget Clint Capella had, what, a 29.21 rebound a game, too? And has been raising his stats up. You know, it, it's just – I'm not going to belabor the point. You already covered a lot of ground there, Eric. But the pace that he's taking is insane. He definitely put himself in the MVP conversation when I'd all but written the book and thrown into, like, the base of the ocean on that. <laughs> um, and it's crazy to believe it, but he's definitely in there. He'd be a fool to not believe that. And, yeah, the Rockets are right back in contention. And I'm sure that's going to go into another question concerning the Warriors and their championship outlooks and whatever. But, yeah, the Rockets need something to shape up because this is superhuman, and that's just the problem. Yeah. Um, let's get to that question because um, you made a nice transition there. Uh, uh, <laughs> from our, our good friend Josh Cornelison, um, at Cornelison NBA on Twitter, he asked, uh, right now, are you taking the Warriors or the field to win the title? Um, I'm still taking the Warriors. I mean – I think they could actually have an easier path to the finals this year, you know, with their potential challengers in the West not as formidable. I mean, at this moment, of course. Now, the trades could change things. Injuries, of course, you know, you can never rule those out. But, I mean, the Nuggets have no playoff experience. Um, they, they they beat the Warriors this year, and they've played them tough over the past couple of years, you know, regardless of even before they were this, you know, best team in the Western Conference in terms of the regular season. Um, mm-hmm. The Nuggets are, are a great team. Um, they don't have much playoff experience, and I, 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 don't, I don't trust them as a true challenger to the Warriors at the moment. The Thunder, I think, are the team that will make the conference finals, especially if they can add a shooter, which we'll, we'll get to that later. But they have the defense. They surely have the defense to contend with Golden State. The offense is the question with them as well. Um, this is a team that has not made it out of the first round in, in a couple of years now. Um, they, I view them as a potential challenger, but are they – they are not as good as the Rockets were last season in terms of being a challenger to the Warriors. Then the Rockets, of course, as we mentioned, are not 
at the same level they were last year, even despite this play, um, this recent stretch. There isn't as a, a clear cut, like this time last year, we were like, okay, it's going to be Rockets, Warriors, that's their challenger. We don't have that yet. You know, and these teams will have to fight each other just to face the Warriors in the conference finals eventually. Um, I think that they will have a tough, they certainly will have a tougher finals matchup, whether that's the Raptors or the, or the Celtics who turn it around. Maybe the Bucks could even get there, though I have some doubts about their playoff um, potential. I think if they're engaged, the Warriors, in the playoffs, they can get to the finals with like two or three losses in the West. Uh, two or three playoff losses in the West. Um, and then I think that if they face like a Boston or Toronto, who would both be really good matchups and kind of have those the pieces of the recipe to win the finals if things break right for them, that's where they could be pushed. And that's where it makes it tough for the, to pick the Warriors confidently. But I just think they'll have an easier time to get to the finals. And then I think by the time they get to the finals, they'll want that three-peat. They'll be more engaged. And I think they're going to take it home. Yeah, I mean, you, you made a great point bringing up some Eastern uh... – conference challengers on that side i definitely would also have to go with the warriors only because you're right the field is there the field the field is, is tight there's some players i got a lot more a lot more hope in okc i went to the season if you remember saying that okc would be one of the biggest threats to um the warriors and offensively yikes but defensively i mean it's stifling. So yeah exactly they have the best defensive rating in the league 101 Point four points per 100 possessions. That's without Andre Robertson, their best defender, okay? And they're forcing or they're averaging a full steal more than any other defense in the league. And they've been doing a great job of forcing turnovers and not having to sacrifice, like, position on the defensive end. They're not get, they're just getting turnovers. It's not really, like, only one who's a real gambler on that end, although Paul George can do it at times, is Russell Westbrook. And he's been, like, unki- just insanely accurate lately on these, just in his own steal averages alone. This team... On the defensive end, it's just a terror, and they get their offense or a vast majority of it in transition from their defense. And being that the defense is so good, you see how that defense to offense works out. Offensively, when they have to go half court or, or get stagnant or dry spells, then you you do have to worry. But I have hope in Russell Westbrook at least coming playing up to the mean because right now he's just he's just a, a miserable on the offensive end. I get that. But Paul George has been playing on MVP level. I like the play that. Dennis Schroeder's been giving um, off the bench, starting in a pinch, easy there. And I think that it may be another shooter with a deadline or something, maybe make a, a slight trade. I don't know how they're going to do it with the tax just hell that they're in. But um, I think that there's a chance they can get their offense to at least passable to match with Golden State because their defense is so stifling. And they have the star power in Westbrook and Paul George that I think can just go off. That would make it interesting. I definitely have them with the Rockets, though, the way they've been playing. They're definitely there, but I think defensively, mind you, I feel really bad saying all this now after the Rockets have that win with them being shorthanded. Like, but still, um, I have a lot of hope in OKC. On the east side, you already mentioned it. I'm just going to say I second everything you said on that mm-hmm. because the Celtics, the Raptors, I'm just going to repeat everything you already said. But, um, yeah, that will actually be a, a more interesting matchup, only in the Styles make fights and more of a evenly paced. Like, I could put the Raptors out and the Warriors out and go, okay, wow, you can match up Kawhi and Kevin Durant and Kyle Lowry and Steph Curry and, you know, the Raptors' defense and length against the Warriors and just their, you know, you got Italian offense and the way they spread the ball. You know, there's so many different ways you can pick that apart. Whereas the OKC, I go, okay, listen, if OKC offense just comes and brings it to the table, then it's a series. And then with Houston, if Houston's defense just brings it to the table, then it's a series. You have more teams in the East that can actually serve as a, as a decent matchup, style-wise, game-wise, complexion in that way to the Warriors. I agree. Um, all right, yeah, let, let's, uh, let's hit another question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yada, yada, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> all right, which one do you want to do? All right, so I'm pulling up right now. One second. Internet is 
amazing these days. Um, I think there was one on the Kings. Oh, was that- uh, yes, there was from I- at uh, from at Kennedy Courtney on Twitter. Who is the Kings' best player? Um, this was an interesting question. Um, I went into it before I looked at any of the numbers. I went into it thinking it's De'Aaron Fox. Um, and I looked at the numbers and you can make cases for other guys. I I think you you can make a case that, you know, and this is the thing, right? Best player versus most important player. I think those are two different questions. Sometimes it's the same answer, but I think that sometimes it's not the same answer in terms of the best overall player versus who is their most important player based on how the team schemes around them or what kind of, you know, um, how much do they bring shooting to a team that needs shooting? Do they bring defense to a team that needs defense? But I think in this case, it's both, both answers are De'Aaron Fox, um, his numbers this year, 18.1 points, 7.6 assists, 3.6 rebounds per game, all big jumps from last year. 39% on threes is a huge jump from last year. 56% true shooting is, is, is solid. It's basically around league average, a little bit above league average, I think, um, at least for guards. Uh, 56% true shooting on his you know usage and his role is, is solid. He's got a plus 11.6 net rating, um, which I think highlights his importance. And really, the other thing that highlights his importance is when you watch their games because the energy he provides – is so infectious for the rest of the team. Um, when he's running in transition, when he's getting these incredibly athletic plays, the way he's finding his big men. Um, listen, Nemanja Bielica has been huge for them in terms of an, an addition that they actually had and the impact he's had spacing the floor. He's also got a really strong net rating and is shooting lights out from three. Willie Cauley-Stein is having a really good year. Buddy Heald has also been really good. I think all, I mean, all those guys are having the best seasons of their careers you know, so far. But I think now at this point and moving forward, I think it's De'Aaron Fox is both their most important and their best player um, for the Kings this you know this season. And, and the, the development he's been able to take has been so impressive. So they've got good role players. They've got good starters around him that have had, that have had career years this year. But De'Aaron Fox is their best and most important player now and moving forward, I think. Yeah, I'm, I really have no argument there. Shout out to Amon Shumper for having a strong bounce yes. back year. Um, you know, who saw that coming at all? But 31 games, 29 started. At basically shooting 40% from the field, but 37% from three on on, on decent volume for him. Uh, five attempts a game, basically. Uh, you already mentioned Nemanja Bielitsa. Willie Colley-Stein's been having a strong year. Buddy Heald's been incredible, um, leading the team in scoring. But it's really Darren Fox, and there's very little, you know, like, significant candidates behind him on that. You already said career highs and pretty much everything for all this Kings team, which is why I don't want to say they're overachieving, but they're obviously having a better season than any of us imagined just off of that alone. It's actually kind of crazy to have such synchronized um, career years for many of these players here. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh, so I'm going to do a quick transition, quick side note to a question that I don't know how I missed it, but I see it now um, from our own uh, Josh Cornelison. Um, is Corbin having a question around the Dunked On podcast, a betrayal of the <laughs> M94 broadcast brotherhood? Never. You already mentioned it, Eric. I'm just going to repeat that. Never. Okay. Not at all. But there's another one I'm going to get to also by Josh. And I'm going to throw this to you, Eric, because you've actually seen a couple of these games in person. You caught all the good Brooklyn games. I really have. This, But at this point, is Brooklyn more likely to make or miss the postseason? So as it stands, let's update everybody. The Nets are actually the seventh seed. <laughs> um, they are t- They are percentage wow. points ahead of the Hornets, where the AC, they're tied in, in, the, in the game's back column. Um, they're only half a game out of the playoffs entirely. That's how close it is. They're only one game back of the 10th seed. So it's not like they're you know set in stone. Um, this is a tough question because I, I really want to say they're going to make it, but I still think that they're somehow going to miss it. And I think 
really what happens is the Pistons and Hornets are making it so hard to confidently pick them as playoff teams that you really want to pick the Nets. And maybe I, maybe I haven't thought about it long enough. I've watched a lot of Nets games. As you said, I've been to a bunch that have been good. I've watched a bunch of them on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been, I, I mean, one of the most surprising teams of the, of the past month, pretty much. So they had that, that eight game. They, they, they lost Karis LeVert. They, they went like two and two, I think, in the first four games without them. Then they lost eight straight. They could not close out any games. They were choking big leads um, against the Grizzlies, against the Thunder with that Paul George, you know, awesome game right there. Since then, since December 6th, um, the Nets are 11-3, and three, and they have the fourth-ranked offense in the league. That, that is incredible. I mean, they've, wow. got, they've got some good offensive players, but they do not have fourth-type fourth offense type of players. <laughs> no, they right don't. Not like that. Right now. <laughs> um, they're 17th defensively, which is like, ugh, like, you know, that's not that impressive. But considering the fact that over the entire season they've been 22nd, it's, they've, they've jumped on both ends of the floor, and that, that's huge for them. Um, I mean, if they can stay on this course, on this course of play – until Levert comes back, I mean, uh, who knows when that can be? That might be, you know, March for that matter. I think they really could be that team that sneaks in during the final week or two of the season. I really think that this race for the seven, eight, you know, seeds does come down to the final two weeks of the regular season in April. Um, that's how close I think it'll be. I think that Hornets have Kemba and the Pistons have Blake. You know, we talk about stars being enough to drive winning in the NBA. I want to see if this is a good example of that because. You know, stars, obviously the top level when it comes to the playoffs, you know, stars drive winning. But I want to see teams that are, I want to see mediocre teams. How much can stars carry them? Because if Kemba can get the Hornets in the playoffs and Blake can get the Pistons in the playoffs and the Nets miss out, that's kind of a, a reflection of, of the Nets obviously don't have a star. They don't have a player at that level. Um, they just have a really solid team that's really Whoa. deep in a lot Whoa. of range. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Eric. I mean, how much more of a load can Joe Harris shoulder Listen. for these nets, okay? <laughs> You're talking to one of the biggest Lumber Joe fans <laughs> around. <laughs> yes, Lumber Joe. Um, Lumber Joe, I like it. I've never heard that. I like that. Listen, he, he missed a bunch of those games that they lost in that losing streak, and he comes back and he provides such a, a d- dynamic aspect of their offense. Um, but you, listen, I think I, I, I'm still – hesitant to pick the Nets to make the playoffs because I want to pick the teams that have the stars on their roster. Um, and I think I'm going to still go with the Hornets and Pistons, but I really would not be surprised, nor would I be disappointed if we saw the Nets because they are they're a really enjoyable team to watch. They've got a scrappy team. They're really deep. Um, and they've got the more solid teams overall compared to the Hornets and Pistons. But I'm still going to stick with the star players driving enough winning in Charlotte and Detroit to get them in. Yeah, I'm right there with you, and I feel like I say that a million times per pod, but <laughs> great minds think alike. No, my exact argument was that, yeah, Blake Griffin, to me, is a, a star player enough to carry them over the top single-handedly. He could take over a game. For Brooklyn, you have, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie's end a few times, D'Angelo Russell as well, but both are rather consistent, and it's really not their role. They're not used to that. Um, and then for the Hornets, although he has these spells where he's just supernova, and then he kind of regresses back to just mortal Kemba, I think it's like... Kemba balling, and then it's like kryptonite Kemba. Like, that's what I'm calling it because there's, it's no in-between. It's not, oh, wow, a decent game by Kemba. He's either just great, you know, or, or, or 29-11, just great shooting, or he'll shoot 7 of 11 from 3 or something, or you get those 4 for 15, 0 for 6 from 3, 9 points, 6 assists. Like, there's no in-between on that. Blake Griffin, same thing. He's great, but the team around him, I mean, like you said, just shooting, man. The Pistons, oh, my gosh. It's, it, it, it's, it's a sight for... It's just not a sight. There you go. <laughs> but for these Nets, yeah, it's more – they'd be such a story if they made the playoffs. Um, I think that's kind of big. And the fact that they play – I want to say the right way, but a, a way that, you know, everyone kind of shares the shares the um, 
shares the piece of the pie. Their leading scorer is uh, by statistics has been out. The Karis LeVert. Um, so it's really D'Angelo Russell at 18 and Spencer Dinwiddie at 17. Joe has at 13, who by the way is shooting 50 percent from the field and 49 percent from three. Um, it's just insane. It's insane. <laughs> it really is. He has a, a effective field goal percentage of 64 point. Uh, 60. Uh, yeah, 64. 64 percent. Like this, and it's not like he's um Ed Davis or Kenneth Reed who's shooting. You know, right around the basket, this dude's bombing. Like, and and almost five attempts from three and several. You know, he yeah, should no, be shooting more threes. threes. Exactly. He's basically averaging ten field goal attempts in general, and then five from three. He needs to get a lot more because the dude can see from deep. But basically, the the, the Nets' offense is spread out. They play a. a space and pace type of offense i like the way that coach kenny atkins got together i've loved the way that sean marks has assembled this team and i think storyline wise it'll be amazing but i'm just gonna put them on the outside looking in barely only because i think that when it gets down to it i could see kevin having an amazing night to just squeak charlotte in or you know blake griffin going on like a five game stretch like he did at the beginning of the season during a soft part of the schedule in like in like march to like just get them over well, not march i'm gonna put a little closer to a playoff time mm-hmm. but just to create enough separation. So I'm agree with you, but I, I could see it going the next way. Let's say if either Blake or Kemba, who have also been known to be injured at times, get injured, then, I mean, I'm just penciling Brooklyn from the jump. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that one. Well, one okay, one good sign I will say for the Nets before we move on to the next question. They are the uh, only team of this group that can actually win on the road. Uh, they are <laughs> they are 9-10 and 10 on the road. Hornets are 4-12, and 12, and the Pistons are 6-11. and 11. Uh, so the Nets, I mean, the Nets have a losing record at home, which isn't great, 10 and 11, while the Hornets are 14 and 8, uh, and the Pistons are 11 and 9. But I think that being able to win on the road will be a big deal for these teams in this kind of 7, 8, and 9 range fighting for the play- final playoff spots. Um, let's move on to a next question. I, we can group this one as a similar question um, from at Jackson Lloyd, um, which is at, at jlloyd952 on Twitter. Name a team in each conference that you're worried will fall out of the playoff bracket. Um, I actually answered this before the Pistons actually fell out of the playoff bracket um, in the past couple days. Um, I listed uh, the Pistons or the Hornets as those teams that are in danger of falling out, but now I guess I'll say the Nets and the Hornets because the Pistons technically aren't even in the playoffs. Um, But the Pistons really, like you said, I mean, they've had a rough stretch recently. They've actually been struggling a lot with Noah Smith because that means a lot more Jose Calderon minutes, and that's not pretty, really. Um, 37-year-old Jose Calderon, (laughs) keep getting them checks. (laughs) I mean, Reggie Jackson just... He just has not been good enough as a, as a no. third guy for a playoff team, especially when a guy like Andre Drummond isn't going to really create his offense that much. Um, and like you said, I mean, the lack of shooting is just abys- <sighs> abysmal. Let me, let me get these stats. I had these stats up before um, that were so – oh, here they are. Okay. So they are 29th in three-point percentage. They are, 20, <laughs> they are 21st in field goal percentage at the rim. And they are 24th in percentage of in field goal percentage in mid range. They cannot hit a, a shot from anywhere on the court. It's really amazing uh, if you think about it, just how bad they've been, you know, in terms of shooting around Blake. Blake is their best three point shooter in terms of volume, um, and Reggie Bullock has finally come on um, and provide some shooting for them. But I mean, it's not enough. Um, no. And, and he put so much on Blake's plate in terms of offensive load and usage. Either he's going to break down, or he's just not going to be able to do it enough. And they're in danger. And then the Hornets are kind of the same way. It's, it's basically a lot on Kemba's plate. You can fall <laughs> Take down. out Blake, insert Kemba. <laughs> exactly. Um, I have. If the Hornets could stay healthy, I would have more confidence in them. 
Um, but they're not because, as you saw, uh, Cody Zeller's missing the next month at least. In, uh, Jeremy Lamb is injured right now. He's missed the past couple of games, probably going to miss a couple more. Those are two of their starters and two of their better starters around Kemba. Um, and they, like the Pistons and basically like the Rockets recently, need Kemba to be awesome pretty much every night to have a chance. Um, that's And then the Nets are kind of in the same boat where they're not relying on a star. But on the, the other end is the other end of that issue is that they don't have a star to go to. So you can't rely on somebody. So all these three teams are obviously extremely flawed. Um, and all three of them are, you know, I mean, Pistons, I mean, the Hornets and Nets right now are in danger of missing the playoffs. And if, if the Pistons were in, they'd also be in danger of falling out of the playoffs. Um, for the West, you know, I think I put the Spurs, Clippers and Blazers as, as those three possibilities. I think beyond that, you're looking at teams that are pretty, you know, you feel pretty confident saying they're going to make the playoffs. Um, I think the Clips are kind of like another team. They lack a star um, that could come back to bite them. Maybe, you know, Gallo and Harris, you know, go through a cold stretch because they've been awesome recently. And their poor defense is going to hurt them. They're 24th in the league defensively. Um, last wow. I checked, I think right now they are 23rd. So they're not good enough defensively. The Spurs are in a similar situation, really. They have a really poor defense that could hurt them. And if guys like DeRozan or Aldridge struggle, like Aldridge was really bad to start the season and he was awesome in December. If that doesn't happen moving forward, they could be in trouble. Um, and then the Blazers, they're a bit more of a balanced team. I wouldn't say I'm not necessarily worried about them falling out of the playoffs, though they are two and a half. They're the seventh seed. They're two and a half out of falling out, out of the playoffs. But I think they're a little bit more balanced on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, unlike the Clips, they made the playoffs last year. Um, so I, I'm not really worried about them. And the Lakers, I only mentioned because if LeBron misses nope. more time, you know, nope. in the future, <laughs> like I, I doubt he will because he's always stays healthy. But if he does get another injury in, in later in the season, they're going to be in trouble. But I think he's going to stay healthy, and because of that, they're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even speaking into existence. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say the Jazz, but then I looked at the standings a little bit more, and I realized that. Um, they're not even in there. They're, they're not even in there, really. Yeah, they're already out. And it's so weird that the West is like that, where they're at 20 and 20, Lakers are 21 and 18, the Lakers are in eighth after, you know, this one and four stretch out LeBron, and how intertwined they are. You know what I mean? Like, the Jazz are out and at 20, and number one is the Nuggets at 26. And the, the difference, it's just how tight the Western Conference is in general. But you already went over a lot of the teams. In fact, pretty much all of the teams. All I can do is think that I have a little more faith in the Spurs after seeing this recent stretch. But weren't they just, I mean, my faith is built off of a false foundation. I could say that and know the context and also how I feel because I think not even a week and a half ago I was reading a stat where the Spurs were leading in, like, all shooting zones. Like, I forgot. I don't know if you heard about that or, like, was um, aware of that. But basically they've just been hitting shots. And they <laughs> like to take tough mid. I mean, Rudy Gay, DeMar DeRozan, and um, LaMarcus Aldridge basically camp or live in that mid-range area. And when those shots are going in, those contested 15 to 20 footers, they're great. And when they're not going in, we've seen it already. And right now they're going in. They've had a recent stretch where, you know, in their last um, their last 10, they've gone 8-2. and two. They're on a, the four-game winning streak. Fine, that's great. Um, when those shots aren't falling, then, then you know right where they go. And their shot profile does not change. And although Derek White's kind of coming to his own, Bryn Forbes had a huge game, um, they're a team I would worry about. You already said the Clippers. I am definitely with you on that, especially without having one real leader. If you have, you know, your two guys just go dead, dead as far as offensively or in a slump, you already mentioned it. Down they go into the depths. The Trailblazers already talked about Lakers. I will not stand it. And that's pretty much it for mm -hmm. the West. And then on the East side, yeah, I mean, the Heat is an interesting one. I know they're getting Deion Waiters back and kind of 
getting a little bit of a semblance. They've also gone um, eight and two in their last ten, but like that's not really not. They haven't gone eight and two in their last ten. I'm getting the stats wrong here. My fault. But they're um, what is that? Oh, I forget. It. Basically, nineteen eighteen, which is great for the East, but at the same time, like I don't really their pieces, the sum of their parts. They're a team like the the Clippers who don't have a star, but I think that it hurts the Heat more in a sense. Even though the defense is good and and they're certain um they're well coached, but so is the Clippers with um with their schemes and everything. I just think that if they have another couple of injuries or something, they can go down. Like if Josh Richardson or a main supplier of their points kind of went down for a significant time. Uh, you already mentioned the Hornets and Pistons, and the Pistons right now are outside looking in anyway, so not really much to talk about there. Um, where are they? Yeah, I think my stats are. Yeah, they're fine. So. Yeah, you already mentioned them. I don't really – I mean, the ones I have that I'm really worried about are teams that are, like, already on the bubble. Like, if you asked about, like, let's say the Jazz or the Kings, like, if those teams could get into it or the Grizzlies. But, like, I think now, you know, it's in January that it's starting to stabilize, at least on the Western Conference side, where this – I mean, on the Western Conference side, on the Eastern Conference side, where most of these teams you could see kind of holding par for the course, except maybe in the East, 7th through ninth. Where in the West, I mean, what, you want to pencil in the top four and then good luck? Would you even do that? <laughs> I mean, I, I would, I, I can comfortably say, I, I comfortably feel confident in one, two, three, four, five teams making the playoffs in the West. Um, that I feel confident about that. I feel confident in the Nuggets, Thunder, Warriors, Rockets, and Lakers. Beyond that, oh, the Lakers, yeah, my fault. I meant to. Yeah, of course. Beyond that, you know, messy. I think in the East, I feel confident in six teams. I want to. I know the Heat are only nineteen and eighteen, and they're only two games out of the the ninth spot, so they're not really set in stone, but. I think they're just going to execute enough. Of course, they could probably go on a 10-game losing streak now that I'm saying this, but I, I, I have more, a lot more faith in them than I do Nets, Hornets, or Pistons. So, we'll see. Um, let's move on to another question. Um, two, I mean, these were asked at the same time, and they're both about the Pelicans. Uh, I think these are also from at Kennedy Courtney, I believe. Um, so, the first one is, should AD get more blame for not being a closer in the fourth quarter? Oh, and the second question hot. is... With, Pel- with the Pelicans having their pick this year, isn't tanking the best thing for them. So I looked up AD's clutch time stats. Um, I, I wanted to I see what was going on. Um, and so for reference, he has played in 54 clutch, quote-unquote, clutch minutes this year. Uh, and the NBA defines that as under five minutes left within five points. Uh, the, the, this game scores within five points. Um, so in those 54 clutch total minutes, he has 40 points on 48 point. 48.6% shooting, um, which is a, he was also a 50.8 true shooting percentage. For reference, for the season, um, what am I saying? Never mind. Uh, he is one of <laughs> ten. I, I was gonna say he is one of ten on three pointers in the clutch. Um, you know, and he's only interestingly enough only five of ten on free throws. Which again, that's probably one of the most concerning things that he's not hitting free throws when it matters. Um, and he has a negative 20.3 net rating. All of those shooting percentages are, are below his season averages, um, which, again, you know, gives credence to the idea that he's not playing well in the clutch. But does he get blame? Sure. Does he get all the blame? No, because Drew Holiday is also struggling in the clutch. He has a 36.6% true shooting, which is absolutely abysmal. Oh, gosh. Um, so he, Drew Holiday is also struggling. He's obviously their second guy. Um, and while guys like Miritich and Randall are hitting their shots in the clutch time minutes, the Pels as a team have been really bad in the clutch, unlike last season. So I feel like 
you definitely have to put blame on AD because he's the star, he's their best player, but you have to also recognize that others aren't performing, at least recognize that. Um, should he get more blame? Sure, because I haven't really seen that being tossed around on Twitter, um, though there are so many storylines to analyze, I guess not everyone can talk about everything. Um, yep. But the team has been bad in clutch overall. It's not only AD, he hasn't been a complete disaster. I mean, 48.6% sh- shooting and a 508 percent true shooting is bad especially compared to his standards but not a joke um so I, I would give him a little bit more blame but also recognize that everyone not everyone a lot of guys around him are also just can't hit anything in the clutch um and their defense is falling apart the other question um with the pelicans having their pick this year isn't tanking the best thing for them absolutely not no um, way this is not the same this is not the same situation like the grizzlies last year because one yes they've had a lot of injuries but this is the team that needs to try and appease Anthony Davis, or please Anthony Davis, I should say, to have him stay. And tanking is going to be the, you might as well just buy him a train, uh, not a train ticket, uh, a plane ticket to get out of, out of New Orleans if, if you tank it and get, you know, a top five pick in, in, the, in the draft. Because tanking is an option for teams like Memphis last season, but it's not when you're trying to keep AD. Um, because he's only going to stay if you win in the playoffs, and tanking is a surefire way, I think. I mean, not, I think, definitely a surefire way to get him out of town. So, <laughs> you know, ideally... If they didn't have a guy like AD that, you know, is about to enter this, he's about to be eligible for this contract extension, and if not, he's going to enter trade talks. Maybe if he was signed for like a five-year uh, five deal, or maybe he didn't have a star at, you know, his his level of play in this situation of his career. Sure, you can tank for a season like the Grizzlies did last year, and they finally got a young building block. But, you're, you know, AD is young, and not young, he's, in, you know, basically in his prime right now. The Grizzlies last year had two stars. One was injured and one was is exiting or out of his prime. They got that young asset by tanking through a year. The, the Pelicans cannot do that because they might as well, in addition to that draft pick, also buy the plane ticket for AD somewhere else. Yeah, I'm really not even going to add too much context in this. You did a great job answering that one. But, um, yeah, with so much going on in, in New Orleans, the last thing you're going to do is put, Dave, put, put, put your team in a situation where you make it even less likely for Anthony to stay. And as simple as that. Bottom line, Anthony Davis ain't clutch. Moving on. No, but, um, yeah, no, I, I – wow, that's that's telling. I mean, I didn't even know the stats just like that until you looked them up. I mean, in, in detail, and, yeah, they're all bad in that way, but, wow, that's that's telling right there. All right, so horrible transition, but here's a fun, <laughs> quick one. Uh, at Courtney – at Kennedy Courtney, another – another. he gave a lot of questions. Um, Should Brooke Lopez be in the three-point contest? Yeah. He should. <laughs> Absolutely. I, <think> so. <laughs> I mean, just the for the idea is, of seeing oh it gosh. is just, like, worth it. Novelty value, yeah. Much less him actually being really good. Do you know what I mean? Like, from three. Like He's 37, wow. 37.2% on 7.1 attempts. He, the, percentage is, the percentage is not, like, lights out. But, again, he's Brooke Lopez, who, um, in 2015-16... Let's see. Let's put. Let's look at this in the, the best way. In 2015-16, he attempted 14 three-pointers in the entire season. Uh, he has already attempted 261 this year, um, which means he's basically on pace to attempt over 500 threes this year if he stays healthy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, had, and had several games already where he's attempted double digits in threes, yes. like in game. So I mean, can we give the man some credit on remaking his game for this modern age of, of, of NBA basketball? Literally went from one of the resident dinosaurs. To just a, a very valuable asset. I mean, he's going to be with the Bucks for the whole season, but like he 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 extended his career, in my opinion, another three, four, five seasons. Yeah, I mean, thirty now just because of that three point shooting. If he brings nothing else to the table, you bring him out there as a floor stretcher and seven foot 
just already a natural rim deterrent, that's added value. And that's from someone who was on the verge of being played out the league a couple years ago. Like you said, 2015, I mean, you know, it, it, he could have been easily the, went the ways of the um, Roy Hibberts. But no, he, he remade himself, and, and it's it's so crazy to see. And yes, just put him in the three-point contest, uh, bring Contavious Carl Pope, that's all I ask. <laughs> <laughs> it really is a great story what, what Lopez has done um, and, and how he's been so huge for the Bucks in terms of just providing another extra floor spacer and one of the better floor spacers um, around Giannis. Um, let us move on to another question um, from a division foe for the Bucks, the Pacers. Um, and this question is, why aren't the Pacers getting talked about more? They have everything needed to be like the 0-4 Pistons. Um, to, to, to answer it short and be blunt, they're not talked about more because they don't have the star that draws attention. Um, or a big market, or a glamorous style of play. Like th- there are three. Real, I think those are those are the three factors that get you attention and get you you know discussed on, um, talked about a lot more in the NBA. Victor Oladipo is a star, but is he the star that draws a lot of attention? No, he's, no. A, he's not having the season he had last year. Do they have been a big, injured for a bit? Yeah. Does he have, do they have a big market? No. Do they play a glamorous style of play? Absolutely not. Um, Unless you love defense, in which case I do, and I love what I love watching good defensive teams. But if you like slow pace and not a lot of threes, and you like offense, this is not the team you want to watch. Um, but they do have the ingredients to be a successful playoff team if we're still firmly believing that defense wins cha- the, the quote unquote defense wins championships, or, or, or more importantly, like defense wins in the playoffs. Um, the question, obviously, like the Thunder, but these are very similar teams. That they're one and two in defense. The Pacers rank. Um, the Pacers are the 15th ranked offense, and the Thunder are the 20th ranked offense. So these are teams that win with their defense, basically, exclusively, almost. Um, I think the problem with the Pacers' offense that I have is that it's very archaic in the fact that they shoot a lot of mid-range jumpers and they do not shoot a lot of threes at all. They are 28th in terms of three-pointers uh, attempted, or the frequency of three-pointers attempted. They're 7th they're in the frequency of mid-rangers attempted. So that's not exactly what we want to see. Um, and the other question is, can Oladipo be that go-to guy offensively in the playoffs? Because we saw in that first round, the Cavs presented a lot of trapping and a lot of doubling on him last season and took the ball out of his hands. And for the most part, he responded well. He had a, he had a solid first-round series against the Cavs last year. I think that if they finish as a top three seed, which they are right now, they are the third seed. They're one game up on the Sixers. Um, If they finish in the third seed, um, I see them winning that first round series. I could also see them winning a 4-5 matchup, but I feel like it's a little bit less likely, especially because, like we said before, star power does matter a lot in the playoffs. And when you go against the Raptors, the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Celtics, they are not going to have the best player in any of those series. So if they get into a 4-5 matchup with a Boston or a Philly or something like that, they could be in trouble. Um, if they, they can win a three, six matchup. And I think they're going to fall short in the second round because a lack of star power and, and maybe a lack of offense, but they're not getting talked about because they don't have the ingredients to be talked about a lot more, I guess. Yeah. And, and that's seriously just it. I think in you basically, basically when you were naming up the stats about them, shooting a lot of memory and jumpers and not a lot of threes, I thought, oh, 2004 Pistons. So, <laughs> I mean, there you go. You know that one star. It's kind of a gritty, ugly type of play. And I see where um, he was coming from with that question because, yeah, that's that's easy to make that parallel. Uh, I don't think they're going to have the same success as the 04 Pistons team did, even though I guess the blueprint is there because although they're a great defensive team, it's not like they have that one guy like you had in Detroit with Ben Wallace who's like, you know, an all – 
defender like noted for his defensive ability with another lengthy wing and a Tayshawn Prince. And, you know, the components were different. The components were different. It's definitely a different team where they play better than some of their parts and they're led by a star who's – he like you said, I, I, I still – I don't think he's a superstar – I don't really want to get into a whole argument over that, but like I don't think he's superstar. But I think he's definitely a bona fide star in Victor Oladipo. Had a great series, but I mean, it was still just one year for me. And I think as crazy a year as it was, I wanted to see him build off of that. And I'm not going to knock him because of injury, but I'm also not going to move him up higher because in spite of it. You know what I mean? So yeah, I guess there's parallels there, but I think it only comes up to a point. All right. Yeah. So do you want to hit any other questions? Or are we uh, good to move on? I, I think we're good to move on. They said uh, there was another one, a fun one, Cordy Kennedy, about Vince Carter in the dunk contest and would he win it? Uh, I no. don't know. I, I, say, I say no. no. He wouldn't win. And I also say don't put him in because Please, no. we already had our memory. I want my last memory of Vince Carter to be the, that 2000 just showcase in Toronto with the windmills and the 360s and the point of the sky and all of that. Also, while we're on that note, I want to see another player do it. I know it's going to happen. I know Donovan Mitchell did, and I hated it when he put on the Vince Carter thing and did the celebration. That's just Vince Carter. It's like, that's just it. I know the <laughs> NBA is a copycat league, and I get it, and it's cool, and it's iconic, but I don't remember the dunk that Donovan Mitchell even did. I just remember the celebration, how much I hated it. But two things. One, let's not do that. Two, yeah, no. I, I, couldn't, even, I couldn't even see old Vince with the gray in his beard and, and so much rap on his knees attempting to rev it up one more time. No, that'd be sad. Just a sad way to go. Shades of Michael Jordan with the Wizards, sort of. Like, no, I couldn't do it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Let's not do that. Uh, let's keep okay. uh, let's keep the memories fresh and, and good for Vince Carter. Um, exactly. All, all right. right, let's move it. <laughs> let's. Uh, we're gonna switch it up on the pod. We're gonna just talk about things that are we find interesting or or things that are certainly happening in the league. And I think one of the main topics, considering the fact that how well they started the year and how much they've fallen off, and considering the fact that we started the show talking about a trade they made, is the slumping Grizzlies because. They have now lost uh, five straight games. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They are now three games back of the eighth-seeded Lakers. Um, and the, the main problem is that they've actually stayed reasonably healthy, unlike last season when that was obviously the main issue when Conley went down. They just couldn't generate an offense. Um, but what's happening is that they still can't generate any offense because the offense is actually falling back even more than it was in, to start the season. They're down to 27th in the league offensively. Um, but what's really happened is their defense has also um, gotten down, uh, you know, you know, not been at the elite, elite levels it was early in the year. Like, they were a top-five defense for the first, I guess, month, month or so of the season. That makes up a little bit for having the 23rd-ranked offense. But when your offense drops to 27th and your defense drops as well, you're in big trouble. Because since December 13th, which is their past 11 games, they're 2-9, and nine, um, their offense is 28th, which is abysmal, and their defense is 16th. <laughs> 16th is below average. You cannot have one of a, a bottom three offense and a below average defense because that is a recipe for a complete disaster, which is what's happening so far. I mean, if you're going to have that bad of an offense, you damn well better have a top three or top five defense to make up for it. And it's the same way on the other end of the floor. If you have it's, – it's basically the Rockets. I mean, the Rockets are the fifth-ranked offense – but the 24th ranked defense. You have to be top five in one end of the floor if your other end of the floor is basically almost bottom five. That's basically how I view it. If you're not, elite, if you're not truly elite on one end of the floor to make up for the other end, it's in, you're in trouble. Um, I think you mentioned it before. They don't really take or make three-pointers. They're 20th in attempts and they're 25th in percentage as a team. Um, and their upcoming schedule 
is rough in all capital letters because it is it is this <laughs> which they lost at San Antonio tonight. So then they followed up with at the Pelicans, who are teams that's extremely desperate for a win. San Antonio at home, at Miami, at Houston, Milwaukee at home, at Boston, and at Toronto. I mean, wow. I, I see maybe two wins in that stretch if they play well, um, if or, that, or if they if they get the rest advantage or something like that. Um, and then, they're, what really is the big issue with them is that they're really stuck because, as we mentioned before from that infamous Jeff Green trade, um, which, by the way, took place four years ago this month, January of 2015, by the way. So whenever these teams make trades, like, oh, we'll just trade this future first-round pick, you know, four years from now, who knows what's going to be happening. Well, here's what's happening. Your team is falling off a cliff, and you don't even have your first-round pick unless you tank it up to make sure it's a top eight pick because the pick is protected one through eight. So if they get it, if they get, you know, pick seven, it's theirs. They get to keep it. If it's pick nine, the Celtics get it. So unless they tank it up hard, you know, they're, they're not going to have their first round pick this year. Again, another way to add young talent to a team that needs to build a young core around Jaron Jackson Jr. So if they keep falling, um, I would go hard into a tank because they, they need that pick if they're going to, I think this is the epitome, you know, teams, in general, where it's like, oh, you know, do you want to stay in the in the ninth or tenth seed, or do you want to just tank for the playoffs? And, and not every team can obviously tank because of their market and their fan base. But and this is definitely not a team that can really afford tanking two years in a row, I guess. Um, but from a legitimate like team building standpoint, they would need to do that. And I think obviously you would start with exploring some Conley and Gasol trades. So my question to you, Corbin, mm-hmm. is. What is their what is Mar, what is Mike Conley's trade value? What is Marcus Gasol's trade value? Basically, like what could they actually get in return for those two players when Conley is on a max deal for I think in the next year or two, or I think it's two years after. I think it's two years remaining, uh, and Gasol has a player option for next year, which is twenty four million. I think Gasol is thirty four and Conley's thirty one. Like if they were like, okay, teams, these two guys are on the table on the trading block. Here's what we want in return. What should they be expecting to get in return, and what could they actually get for Conley and Gasol? You know, whether it would have to be separate trades because of the contracts. Yeah, I honestly, huh, they'd be lucky to get a. I mean, I'm not gonna say lucky to get a first round pick because you have to think about this. I mean, Mike Conley, I think you can do that. Marc Gasol, you'd want to do that, but with his production, he's still having a fine enough season. But that contract is an albatross. He's 33. He'll be 34 at the end of the month, and it, I, there's no longer. I think the market has changed. Like, what team would you trade him to that would that would you would get an asset back? I mean, it's not he's not going to a contender. I don't think there's a contender out there that would say, oh, you know, we need Marcus Salt without, you know, like, without giving up a, a part of their team that, you know, they need. I mean, back a couple of years ago, there was a good well, not a couple of years ago now, but remember when it was uh, Marcus Salt to Cleveland or something like that, and that was like the type of conversation I was kind of floating around. I don't know what team would use him. It'd have to be another team on the bottom or, or, or the of the seller. And then if you're trying to get back, what, some young assets maybe, some prospects and maybe a couple second-round picks, that would be what I would think for Gasol. For Conley, I would push for a first-rounder, even though, I mean, he is younger and, and playing, you know, more or less um, sub, sub-all-star, but, like, you could, you could make a case for him the way he has been playing outside of one dud of a game he had last week where – uh, yeah, I may find that on the 94 morning shoot around. But the point being, uh, for him, I would push for, I don't know, a late first rounder. Or not a late first rounder, like a future first rounder. Um, maybe a blue chip asset if I could. Um, definitely some filler. That's what you're going to get with both of these contracts just because of how big that they are. And, I mean, not unlike 
the Suns where they got Kelly Oubre, like a player of his type, where it's like, yeah, he's a good player. I'm not going to trade him for like a Porzingis type. I would not expect to get that. But I also think that you're going to get someone who maybe, you know, restrict a free agent. Like if you were going to trade Marcus Gasol to, let's say, Brooklyn for D'Angelo Russell, Damari Carroll, a future first rounder, and, well, not a future first rounder, a couple of second rounders and some filler. Like, what do you think about, like, that's the rough out. I don't even know if that works money-wise, but that would be, like, the rough framework of a deal that I would do if I was the Grizz to get someone that I can evaluate, kind of keep moving forward, another player who's serviceable, who I can kind of play out the end of the string with him, and then a couple of picks to look forward to in the future. I mean, if you're trading Gasol, you're not getting a first unless it's, like, a, a mediocre to bad first. And you're definitely... Oh, no, it'd be second. No, no, no. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, I definitely... Yeah, I heard you. I heard you. I made sure. Oh, okay, um, okay. <laughs> But I'm saying... Like, I'm, I'm, I'll answer it. I, I wanted to, like, go through my thought process of, like, if you're oh, going to get oh, a young prospect like a Russell who's been in the league but, you know, maybe still has some kind of growing to do and has definitely developed this year a little bit, um, you're not going to get first with that player. If you want a first-round pick, if you're, fo- like, if you're focused on getting a pick... You can probably do you know nothing better than like the fifteenth to twentieth pick probably. You're not going to get that top lottery pick for Gasol given his age and and his you know twenty four million next year and the player option and you know he's not been exactly the best you know in the locker room recently with some of the reports. Um, nope. But if you're focused on getting a young player like a Russell or you know in this case if they were trading him and keeping Conley, I'd look to get like a young wing if there was someone a possible available. You're not going to get the the top blue chip prospect like you, you're gonna get for giving Gasol's age and you know he's been great he was really good defensively early in the season he's kind of slipped off as the team's defense slipped off like if you're trading Gasol you're, you're I, I that's the problem I, I don't think they, they would get enough to even make it worthwhile trading Gasol like that that's the issue with them I, I think if they really do tank it up they have to explore the Conley aspect of it and Conley can fetch you a little bit more sure he's more expensive and he's got so he's making thirty million this year. He's making thirty-two and a half million next year, and then twenty twenty, he has a player option, which he's gar- almost guaranteed. Take it to the bank right now that he's going to pick up this player option of thirty-four and a half million. Are you he, sure? When he's age thirty-two, um, yeah. so he's on the books for the next two years at sixty-seven million left. You know the way he's playing. 20 points, 6 assists, 3.5 rebounds. He's not really hitting his threes that much. But the way he's playing, you can almost pretty much justify you know, paying him that much, especially if you're a team starving for a point guard. Um, he can get you a return. He can get you a young player. And he, he probably will get you a young player and like a bad first-round pick, um, depending on how good the young player is. But... You know, I really there maybe maybe a future episode we have to sit down, especially if they continue playing poorly, and sit down and come up with some fake trades for the Grizzlies because it's hard That'd to think cool. of specific players off the top of my head. But I don't think Gasol has much trade value, and I think Conley has a trade value. Um, but it'll make it'll be difficult because of his contract and what they're looking for in return, because they'd obviously would have to be looking for a point guard or some kind of backcourt player to re- replace, you know, be the Conley of the future for them. They've already got JJJ as the as the future center of the team that's fine uh-huh. so if you trade this, I, uh, yeah oh my fault no i'm saying i already, I already gave an option because i was scrambling for names deandre russell he's the mike conley of the future for the grizzlies make it happen no, i'm fine <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i i not, not even mean to cut you off it, it, you we need to do that trade thing that would be kind of cool because i was grasping at, thro- at straws for players too that, that would make sense for both parties as best as possible but also get that kind of young asset and it'd be nice to kind of evaluate that that'd be kind of cool that would. Maybe we'll do a future all-trade, all hypothetical trade episode, uh, maybe. Um, that'll be certainly fun. Um, before we move on to whatever topic you want to talk about, just an update on James Harden. The Rockets did lose. 
Um, he did end up, I don't know how he ended up with 38 points and seven assists because he was, he was at like, what, what did we say before? He was at like 12 points Ele- or something. Yeah, 11 or 12. So, I mean, yeah. who knows? He, he attempted 17 three-pointers and only made five of them. So wow. it was inefficient, but he somehow ended up with 38 and seven. But the Rockets lost and um, Austin Rivers played 42 minutes, which is not a, which is a good reflection of their rotation at the moment. Um, um, but yeah, all right. So what do you want to talk about? <sighs> as much as I hate to do it, I'm going to have to talk about the Lakers. <laughs> we already know LeBron's been out basically since Christmas, that groin injury. Since then, the Lakers have gone one and four. Um, they had one good win. I want to say a bounce back win against the Kings. And they just suffered most recently lost to the Knicks. Um, they also had lost to the Kings. They also had one to the Thunder. Uh, just, just a string of losses here. And I, I, I think some of the, Okay, I don't want to put blame. It's it's an interesting dichotomy as far as breaking down what's happened because this is their latest fourth quarter flop. The Lakers have had most of their games where they've been in it down to the finish and then for whatever reason just cough it up. Um, just last night, fourth quarter, the Lakers are outscored in a four thirty-three to twenty. And I, from what I've seen, I think it's on the defensive end. There's like really like a loss of focus. It seems like offensively, the ball just kind of devolves into ISO ball. Uh, turnovers pile up uh, against the Knicks this last game. They had 17 turnovers and allowed a season-high 41 free-throw attempts. This is the first time in 13 games where they cracked 75% of the free-throw line. They've been a bad shooting team. I mean, we talked about the Pistons and other bad shooting teams. The Lakers have not been too far ahead. But in this 1-4 and four stretch, the Lakers are last in the NBA in net rating in the fourth quarter. Per 100 possessions, they're outscored by 24.6 points in that final period. They averaged five fewer points in the fourth quarter, 23, than any other quarter in that five-game stretch. So the fourth quarter, things just fall apart. And I am concerned because I thought that the Lakers – I mean, I knew LeBron and his impact was tremendous on this team. I mean, you'd have to be blind not to see that. But I was really feeling confident about the pieces around LeBron, with the exception of Brandon Ingram, who is definitely still trying to find his way. And the Lakers film room had a great – tweet storm about this i think sb nation put into an article about how you know great players like Kawhi leonard and and paul george wings who came into the league as defensive stoppers and then kind of grew and developed into great shooters or, or or above average shooters and then the last thing in their game to come together was their ability to create shots you know against elite shot creation against defenses that was the last thing and with brandon ingram the lakers and as the lakers fan i can tell you and, and second this have definitely just kind of jump-started that development without trying to build in between you brought him out there you played a lot of point guards rookie season in and out the lineup different things like that and then all of a sudden let's say well, there was two years of of semi-development and then the third year okay brandon now we expect you to be a 20 point per game three-point shooter while playing alongside um, LeBron James, oh, by the way, I know we haven't really made you a great standstill knockdown shooter because we haven't played your position yet, but it's fine because when, excuse me, LeBron sits down, we'll just have you run point. Like, it's like they tried, and this is a development thing the Lakers have done, where they've tried to develop halfway or half bake a cake, and then you take it out of the oven and say, okay, finish baking, we're good. And this stretch to me has kind of shown that because when you don't have LeBron to mask a lot of the weaknesses that the Lakers do have that I had overlooked, you kind of see the issues, and I already mentioned the fourth quarter. I think that's a you thing. That's not knowing how to close games. That's something that, I mean, it's so cliche, but you gain that experience and you learn how to finish games strong. But there's so many other weaknesses in there that I'm looking at on the defensive end, um, creating offense consistently outside of the veteran players who have been hit or miss. I know Cantavis Caldwell-Pope's been really their one, quote-unquote, 
go-to score, at least league score, for the Lakers while LeBron's been out. But I've just not been impressed by the play of these young Lakers. And, I mean, I just worry that, you know, it was one perfect picture, I think, at the end of the Lakers' thunder loss, where you had LeBron, Rob Palenka, and Magic Johnson all, like, <laughs> in a the line. There were so many memes that I made out of that. And it was like when you miss a, a, a free throw in front of those guys or something. It was one that I just bust out laughing. But I fear that the front office will make a, 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 a trade, like a gut punch, not a gut punch, it's horrible now, but like a, a quick trigger, you know what I'm going with, kind of trade that's going to impact the team for the negative because they didn't take the time to develop the team positively first and really get the most out of these players. Yes, I agree that that's certainly a possibility. Other possibilities that, you know, the rumors of, of maybe some a coaching change. Um, I think that would be a disaster oh, if they did it right now. Yeah. Um, but listen, you can never rule anything out. Um, the good, I think there, there are positives. Obviously, there are negatives to take from this, but there are some positives. I think that the, the fact that the games have been close, like they lost on a buzzer beater to the Kings, that, that, first, that first loss post the Christmas Day win over the Warriors. True. Uh-huh. Buzzer beater lost to the Kings. They played tough against the Clippers uh, the next night. Um, they beat the Kings, you know, again, then the, a tough loss to the Lakers. I mean, like, not the Lakers, to the Thunder. Um, the Knicks loss was bad, but I don't think, like, Kuzma didn't play in that game, I don't believe. And, no, you know, back spasms, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they didn't, like, get blown out. They didn't, I mean, the Knicks no. are a bad team. Like, I think that's positive. I think their defense, like you said, there have been miscommunications, but overall, in their one in four stretch, they have, basically, since Christmas Day, they had the sixth-ranked defense, a defensive rating in the league. Now, the offense is 27th, um, wow. so... You know that's not that's not good. Um, and obviously, when you have I mean, missing LeBron James and the way players fit around him and maybe don't fit around him, you know, missing him is going to be an issue. In terms of shooting, in that same stretch um, since Christmas Day, basically to today, um, they're 14th in three pointers attempted, um, and they're third at, at, at of the frequency of shots attempted at the rim. So they're really getting to the rim, but they have not. They they are like the, they have like the piston shot profile recently, where they're 22nd in field goal percentage at the rim. They're 21st in field goal percentage from mid-rangers, and they're 26th in field goal percentage on, on three-point percentage. So they just can't hit shots, um, basically, in this one-and-four stretch. So pretty much, based on the numbers and, and the few moments that I've watched from their, their recent stretch, that they're playing good defense, they just cannot generate offense. Um, and that makes sense without LeBron. Uh, now, how this stretch, and he's going to miss, I think he's out another week, so he's going to miss their Sunday game against the Timberwolves on the road, their Monday at Dallas and Wednesday home against the Pistons. The next game that he could play is at Utah Friday, January 11th. So they've got some winnable games coming up. Then after that Utah game, they played the Cavs and the Bulls at home. You know, they've got luck. This is happening. I think this injury is happening at a better stretch than maybe any other time in the season. Um, but again, you know, Ingram, his fit with LeBron is super questionable. Lonzo's fit is questionable, you know, in terms of limited shooting, and he's better with the ball in his hands, and they can use him better, I think, in terms of making him cut more and have him set more screens for LeBron. Uh, I think Hart and Kuzma fit better alongside LeBron than Ingram and Ball do, but not playing with LeBron for these young guys and then having him come back when the expectations are that they're going to jump back into being a top-five seed and they probably have expectations to win a playoff series and how that affects, you know, Luke Walton and the, and the front office. Like, this injury happening and the young guys getting their moments now, but then LeBron coming back and kind of, you know, not, not stealing those moments, but, you know, he's LeBron, so he's going to take those moments away. I want to see what it is like when he does come back because he will have missed um, probably like eight, eight or so games maybe, maybe even nine if they a little bit more conservative with his, with his comeback. So I'm interested to see. I, I'm not as negative on their recent play. Obviously, they've fallen down a little bit. I mean, they've fallen down in the standings, but luckily for them, 
you know, the Jazz are good, but the Kings and the Grizzlies and the Mavericks are all on losing streaks and have all struggled recently. So they're they're one and a half games above the Jazz, who are the ninth seed. Um, they're one and a half games behind the seventh seed. Um, but I'm not all you know doom and gloom with them. I think that they've played good defense. The young guys have shown some kind of moments. They've been competitive in the losses that they've had. Um, I'm really more interested in see how they play when LeBron comes back and really how they do in the next couple of games, which are winnable games. But again, the way they've been playing, nothing's really a, a given winnable game for them. I, 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 I'm glad that you put some optimism there. A little light. I was getting a little darker with my outlook there. But I, I guess I had just higher expectations of how they would be without him or what I think I would see from the team. But you did put it in a little more of a positive and, and accurate perspective. So I, I'm going to roll with that. Thank you for uh, – for uh, helping me brighten the outlook there. So my second thing I wanted to touch on real quick was the MVP race and just specifically Paul George. And honestly, this is a question really geared to you because I wanted to see what you thought about it. But where do you put Paul George um, in this MVP race? Um, just for the season, uh, 27 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 45% from the field, 38 from 3. I think he's went on a string of runs of 37 or more points clearly been the linchpin of this Thunder offense in the wake of Russell Westbrook and his injuries and then, you know, just his career worth shooting. Um, and this is all this efficient uh, efficient scoring and, and obviously rebounding and assists, but on great defense. I mean, he, he's bringing on the other end as well. He's usually for the Thunder, who already have a league-best defense, but usually putting Paul George on the best um, offensive wing on the other team. And then he switches positions up and down, really getting the primary offensive creator on the other side. And I, I just want to know where do you have him because he's definitely top two for me. But I've been seeing other MVP boards. James Harden's played himself back in this conversation in a major way. Giannis apparently can do no wrong to get knocked off for the number one spot. Um, messing around there. So I just wanted to see what you thought about this. I think I I'm definitely in my top five, and he probably would be in my top three as well. I think it's so hard. I, I think it's it's so hard to kind of say who the MVP is right now. I think I'd still. Maybe I'd still go with Giannis, I believe. Um, I really think um, Paul George and James Harden, I think, are, are neck and neck. Um, Paul George is Defensive Player of the Year candidate, you know, on the best defense in the, in the league. 27-8-4, over two steals per game, solid shooting percentages. Um, clearly a positive on both ends of the floor for them. Um, that's, and he's been their best player on a team that is the second best team in the West. Um, and then, you know, Harden's candidacy is that he's been just ridiculous over the past month or so and kind of carried a team that, you know, who's their – I mean, Clint Capella, who's their third best player, P.J. Tucker maybe, I guess. Um, it's not pretty, you know, in terms of supporting cast and he's had to do everything and, you know, they've been playing better. I think they have – they're pretty much neck and neck for me. And I think – I'm not sure, unless the Bucks finish with a significantly better record than the Thunder or the Rockets and all these players' stats stay the same – um, I'm not sure I would pick Giannis at the end of the year. You know, if George keeps this up and the Thunder keep winning and, and if Harden, you know, doesn't keep this up because that's ridiculous, but keeps up, you know, really good numbers and the Rockets, you know, keep winning um, and, and his supporting cast continues to be injured or not, or not there. That's also a big narrative and MVP is always, always narrative driven. Um, I'm not sure I'd be able to pick Giannis at that point. Um, I think I think George is in my top three. Um, I haven't really sat down to, to really go through all these numbers of all these candidates and look at the team record and the net ratings and you know the advanced stats and their traditional stats um, and you know the supporting cast around them and who's had the best supporting cast and everything like that. But he's yeah. definitely in my top three um, 
Because you're talking about a guy who's defensive player of the year, but also their most important and their best offensive player this year, which you couldn't have said in previous seasons for Paul George or the Thunder. Um, so that, that that's no, nothing to sniff at because, I mean, Giannis is probably the only guy you could say that of being the most important player on both ends of the floor, I guess. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was hoping you were going with. I know I had more... I mean, the Thunder are kind of my my little my team as far as the one I have a soft spot for. Russell Westbrook and Paul George as well. So I wanted to get more of a, a nuanced take from you to see where you thought. But I'm glad that our, our thoughts pretty much align with, with how we feel about Paul George, specifically this season and his MVP candidacy. Yeah, I mean, I, I really want to see... I mean, it's been basically half the year already, so I'm not going to say he's going to slow down. But, you know, I want to see. Maybe he goes through a, a cold shooting stretch or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't March think and April usually is... <laughs> remember those months, sorry. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, I don't think his defense is going to suffer, but if the offense does slip a little bit, he's going to... I think he's already up against it in terms of actually being an MVP um, because of the narrative that other guys have, because of the really eye-popping stats that other people guys that other guys have. Like, George has really good stats, but they're not like eye-popping 34 points a game from Harden or Giannis is like 13 rebounds per game. They're not eye-pop. They don't pop out of you when you're looking at them on a screen. So because of that, I think, and because of the fact that he still has that reputation of being primary defender and number two option, we'll see how many people catch up to the fact that he's been their best offensive player as well. So I think he's up against it already. And if he gets through, if he goes through a, a, a cold slump offensively, it's really going to hurt his candidacy. But if he keeps it up like this, He's definitely got to be in the top three, if not if not better, if, especially if the Thunder keep winning and maybe the Bucks slide or something like that. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. I mean, I, I really hope it does happen, just to spice things up. All right. Um, I was going to talk about the bottom of the East. Um, I feel like we've already talked about it enough in this episode. Maybe it's just me. Um, I think we've talked about yeah. it enough. I mean, we did not – only team we didn't really mention was the Magic. And I just – because – my concerns with them is that they just don't have the offense to keep up. I mean, not that you really need to have a lights-out offense, I guess, to, to make the playoffs in the East, especially the AC, but they're 25th offensively, and they're only 16th defensively. So, you know, kind of like when I was talking about the Grizzlies, you really need to be elite on one end of the floor to make up for being abysmal on the other end. You, you, know, you really just can't be bottom five on one end and not be, you know, top five on the other end and expect to make the playoffs regardless of what conference you're in. And because of that, you know, if they get any fall off from Nikola Vucevic, who who has not been as, you know, he was like really, really good um, in like November and December. And since then, he just hasn't, he's been good, but not great. Um, that's going to kill them. And especially without a solid point guard and, and a solid consistent point guard, not, they don't really have any other go-to options offensively. You know, Mo Bamba, he's been – he's showing flashes but still not exactly what you want to see, I guess. Um, listen, I gave him credit for being 16th defensively, but I didn't mention that before because I think they just don't have the offense to um, keep up. Uh, already went through the Pistons' struggles. They cannot hit a shot to save their lives. Already went through the Hornets being a mess of inconsistency. I will say about the Hornets, though, I looked this up. They are on – you know, with these Zeller and Lamb injuries, they are now entering a road trip where they just lost at Denver today. They play Phoenix in the next game on the road, which, you know, if you're the Hornets, you should be able to beat the Suns. Then they play <laughs> at the Clippers, at the Blazers, at the Kings, at the Spurs. Teams that are all playing well for the most part at the moment. Um, that's not good for them. Uh, so, like I said before, what I say? They were like 4-12 and 12 on the road. Um, not good timing for them. We already talked about the Nets. I mean, Russell stepped it up. Harris, we talked about, has been absurd. Um, I think Dinwiddie... Uh, 
we'll give a teaser. We're going to do our awards next week because it's going to be the halfway point for most teams. Um, Dinwiddie has just skyrocketed up my six man of the year uh, board um, and probably yeah, probably my oh choice God. at the moment, but I won't. I'll have to do some more analysis. Um, <laughs> and listen, what the funny thing with the Nets is that uh, they don't have the star, but they have so much depth. Like Shabazz Napier had had been like buried on the bench for like weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, they had this back-to-back, I think it was last week, where they played in Milwaukee, and they rested Russell, and they, they were missing somebody else. Like, uh, Crab was obviously out. And they played Napier, and the guy had 32 points. Uh, like, Yeah, I is, remember that. Just busted out of nowhere. He's a good backup point guard. Like, I am surprised, and maybe the Nets don't want to trade him, but it seems like the Suns and maybe the Magic should have at least knocked on that door in terms of trading for him, because he's technically their third-string point guard. And they play him with dual lineups. They play him with Dinwiddie. They play him with Russell, so it's not exactly third-string, but... He's a backup. He's a really good backup. Ed Davis is just one of my most enjoyable backup big men to watch in the league. Jared Dudley, if you want the epitome of a of a positive veteran presence on a team, both on and off the floor, it is Jared Dudley. Like the guy yeah. on social media Culture-wise. is a killer on social media in terms of engaging with fans and supporting the team. On the floor, I don't think there's a veteran that you can watch and you just know. Like he is so aware of everything. Like they were playing the Grizzlies last night. Um, we're recording this on January 5th, by the way. Uh, he was. They played the Grizzlies, and they were up by 10, and the Grizzlies had like two buckets in a row, and there was like under a minute left, and they were struggling to get the ball um, over half court. And Lily Dudley grabs the ball after getting it, a pass thrown to him, and Lily turns to the ref and calls timeout. And then he looks at he looks at Kenny Atkinson. He's like, "Why aren't you calling timeout? Like our young guys, we need this timeout." It was just such a perfect veteran play. Um, something that something that very few people probably even noticed. Um, but just that presence on this team has been huge for them, and the fact that he can hit threes also helps their offense. Damari Carroll um, is looking a lot more spry recently. So if they're looking to trade him, if they maybe fall out of the playoff picture or they just want to get some assets. The guy in the past five games is averaging 17 points, five rebounds, two and a half assists per game, and shooting 50% on threes. So, Do, do you think, possibly, that Memphis will look at this <laughs> and think that they should trade a 2023 first-round pick <laughs> for him oh to take them to the playoffs? Oh, my God. That would, <laughs> we would need intervention. We would need league intervention if that oh actually happened. Um, but, Adam Silver for the good of basketball. <laughs> but, yeah. So, I mean... I doubt they look to trade Carroll, especially if they stay in the playoff mix. But if they do, they've got veterans to trade for some assets. And Carroll can play some defense, can hit some threes, and he's boosting his trade value. So I wanted to mention that. And we already went through you know, the other teams. But really, seeds 6 through 10 are separated by two and a half games. So you know, saddle up because we are, down, we are in for a wild and probably not pretty ride to the end of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. <laughs> No, I I cannot imagine it being pretty. But then again, it is the East. It's still going to be some fun basketball games, I'm sure. If we get another couple of games like we did this past uh, week and a half, I will I, I will be sated. But yeah, let's let's stay tuned, y'all. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, that'll do it for uh, this week's episode of the 94 NBA podcast. Um, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. You can check out all of our stuff at the 94feet.com, or you can follow. Our site handle um, at the 94 underscore. Um, Corbin, you can obviously throw out where people can follow and engage with you. At Corbin Ford NBA, at, at the 94 underscore. Uh, putting out stuff, like I said, well, just catch me there. Please, help, let me get some followers, man, because then when I start conversations, I won't just be, you know, getting the pity likes. Nobody likes the pity likes, you know? <laughs> and then also people will respond and we can get stuff going. I, I want to be part of the community like, like the great Eric Spropolis and all you other guys. So come on, y'all, make it happen. 
for the people. <laughs> Guys, okay. come on. Yeah, let's do it. Engage with Corbin. <laughs> engage with us. Um, send in your questions for the mailbag. We're probably going to do a really short mailbag next week because, uh, like I said, we're going to be doing our awards for the halfway point. Um, but still send in some questions. And, of course, you can always send in questions and we'll always jot them down somewhere and maybe answer them at a, at a later episode. So, uh, yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with our awards. Um, have a great week of watching NBA basketball. Take care. All right, y'all.